Okay, Romans chapter 2. Woo-hoo, we made it to chapter 2. Okay, don't get too excited. All right, so um, the, um, the section we've just covered dealt with the revelers, right? Um, people that are caught up in their own life, their own lifestyle. And so the whole uh, idea of the first section, um, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through uh, 32, I believe it is, deals with people who are totally given over to pleasure. And notice that the list, there's a list down at the bottom. It ends up with the issues of sexual perversion, and it brings those things up, but then it also lists numerous other things that are sins. It doesn't start with the issue of sexual perversion. And, and so people that, that we talk to, uh, where we tell them, you know, about the gospel, and the gospel is, is uh, God's word, and then they want to get into the issue. They want to make the issue about homosexuality, lesbian gender issues. They want to make it that the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is what? Go back up to verses 18, 19, and 20. They rejected God. That's the problem. The other the sexual perversions and the lying and the adultery and the other things that are down at the bottom, those are all just further extensions of the same thing, rejecting God. They set aside God. He continued to try to reach them until finally what? My lesson was God gave up. He gave them over. If you don't want to, if you're not going to listen, then I'm going to remove all of the restraints that are within your mind and your heart. And so that continued in them. So that was the first, and so that first group um, were those who are caught up in the desires of the flesh. And flesh took precedence over what they knew about God. So let's go back, uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 uh, simply says, Romans 1, 21 says, For although they knew God... They did not honor him or give thanks to him. So there was no reverence for God. There was no recognition of God. There was no, uh, God is the source. He's our hope. He's our help. He's our strength. There was none of that. It all went back to themselves. And so to, uh, they, gave, they did not honor or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking. Their hearts were darkened. They did this, and this was the result. God did not darken their hearts. Their hearts were darkened because they gave up the other things. And so when people walk away from, from God's promise, from God's word, uh, they reject the Bible as inspired by God. They reject the truth that God has taught in the word. They can reject it, reject it, reject it, till finally there is nothing left. Their hearts are darkened, and ultimately God turns them over to the perversions 
of their mind. But then chapter 2, verse 1. So we got all of those people totally caught up in their pleasures and their sexual sins and their idea of, of righteousness is <laughs> me doing anything I want to do. I don't care about God. I don't care about righteousness. I don't care about salvation. I don't care about any of that. Did you ever talk to anybody about that? I mean, that's their response is, I don't care. Say, yeah, but the Bible says people, you know, that there's a choice. There's heaven or hell. I don't care. You know, if, if I go to hell, I go to hell. I'm having pleasure right now. And in our minds, it's like people can't really think that way. Yet that's the outcome of the way that they do think and the way that they are directing their lives. But then chapter 2 comes the next group of people, and this is moralism. So moralism then steps in and says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. So the next group of people in chapter 2, verse 1, down through verse 16, are moralists. And so the idea is moralism, or as I see it, the issue of man-made religion. And that religion can be even atheism, right? Their own way of doing things. And they are going to set the rule by which they can be accepted to God. And as tolerant as they expect everyone else to be, they're totally intolerant of those who say, no, here is God's truth. And so then those who proclaim the truth are the only ones who are really rejected by the moralists. And so this fits so much of the world, and I call this lesson the arrogance of religions. And by religions, I'm talking about man-created ways by which we can reach God, by which we please God. And the, the truth is, many of the things that they do and they hold to our same thing as biblical truth. They, most of them don't believe in murder. They don't believe, you know, well, unless it's in the womb. But um, so, sorry if I pushed an envelope there. But anyway, um, they, you know, they don't want people stealing. They don't want anarchy. They're moralists. And by their moralism, they look at everyone else and say, yeah, I'm not doing what those people are doing. I mean, I'm not that. I'm, I'm pretty good. And their evaluation of themselves is that they are holding by the rules that they have set up. And so we uh, find this, that their, their relationship to finding right standing or righteousness with God is the rules that they have chosen. I, I've got a little phrase in there. When you look at this whole section, Romans 1 through 16, uh, I, I put this little phrase in there, they, a theological megamart. They look at the Bible and they pick and choose the things that they want. And usually those are things that 
they can do. All right, so if you're going to set up rules for the game, you're going to create the rules, then you create rules that you can do, right? And so you don't want to make up rules that will somehow eliminate you. So these are things that they have done, and with the scriptures, they do exactly the same thing. They choose what they can live by and establish that as their way. But that doesn't please God. That's, that's not God's way. God has already evaluated all of humanity and pronounced his judgment. Now, the judgment hasn't fallen, but it's been pronounced. Look at middle of your page there, chapter 3, Romans 3, verses 9 through 12 says, What then? Are the Jews any better off? The Jews have their rules and their regulations. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So eight times in that passage, it's no one. Yeah, but what about me? Uh, no one. Yeah, but I live by these. No one. No one meets this standard that God has established. And I believe that the consummation of that is verse 18, Romans 3:18, down the bottom of that section. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I know your Bible says, did you ever get in a discussion with someone that that's what they, your Bible? But I don't believe that that's the way it is. I know Jesus talked about it, but if Jesus was alive today, he wouldn't say it that way. If Jesus was alive, he wouldn't say some of the things he said when he was here 2,000 years ago. Things that were sin back then wouldn't be sin today. Why is that? Well, because I do them, you know, besides that. Or I've got friends that do, or here's the big one, children that do. And that's hard. Brothers, sisters, I've got family members that live this way. I can't. I can't bring myself to say this. But family members don't change what God has proclaimed. I know you love them. But don't you think God loves them more? Yet, he still said this. And so, this right standing that they have has to come through some other way they have established their list of morals but they're not reaching god's list the righteous the ones who are in right standing with god shall live by faith and that faith implies believing what god has said believing and accepting what god has said so down at the bottom of the page the the 
issue of moralism begins with Cain. Because moralism is basically the foundation for every religion. I, when I was teaching uh, Old Testament history, um, I began with a chart of religions. And I, I've thought about finding that and printing it for you. Maybe I'll do that next week. But it's, it's, like, a, it's like a tree, you know, that goes back. So here we are today. But where are all the rest of these religions? Where did all these religions begin? begin. It began with one thing. God spoke. But then one generation later, Cain said, yeah, but this is my way. And so the first religion branch that came off was Cain. And Cain's religion is the basis for what we would consider moralism. Uh, so here's the story. Uh, I know you're familiar with this. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. This is Genesis chapter 4, starting the second half of verse 2. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Why? Why? Well, we, we want to say, well, that's what he did. But what if he worked in iron? You know, what if he, it wasn't the fruit of the ground? What, it's, that's not the issue. Follow me. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. It's, it's not because Cain brought the fruit of the ground, whether it was wheat, corn, produce, something that had grown that he had harvested. And so we want to say that was the problem. He gave the wrong offering. No. No. He rejected what God had said. See, that, that comes before bringing the wrong offering. He did not accept what God had decreed. Listen, verse 5. End uh, of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering... But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, and his face fell. Top of the next page. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Your countenance. Verse 7. If you do well or right, will you not be accepted? If you do right, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So what God was saying was, in a sense, Cain hadn't entered into the sin yet. He said sin is waiting at the door. Like a lion crouched at your threshold. It's waiting to take you, but you must rule over it. Anybody can have a wrong thought. Now, of course, Jesus said, even with that, it's sin. But Cain hadn't yet committed what was really going to be the problem. But it all began with one thing. He did what he wanted instead of what God 
had told him. So, look at verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Oh, that's nice of him. So what do you do? Go and say, hey, can I buy a lamb from you? Can we work this thing out? I'll give you some grain. You give me a lamb. Is that what he spoke to him about? No, I think it was more anger. And it says, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, here's my bullet points. Number one, there was knowledge about the requirement of sacrifice. We don't know who taught who or what was taught or how long it was taught or how long Cain had brought the right offering, but now all of a sudden he brought the wrong one. But somewhere along the line, Abel did what God had said. Cain came up with another solution, his own way. Abel responded to this knowledge with the obedience of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. You say, well, it's because it was the acceptable sacrifice. No, it was because it was by faith. By faith he gave the acceptable sacrifice. So his faith in God came first. He believed what God had said. Cain, somewhere along the line, decided, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. God commending Abel by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Bullet point three, Cain knew what was right. Listen, here's what God said. If you do what's right, or if you do well, will you not be accepted? He knew what was right. He just wasn't doing it. We've all had that rhetorical question from our parents. Do you know what's right? Do you know what to do? Uh, yeah. Do you know why this was wrong? Uh, yeah. But I wanted to do something else. All right. If you do what is right, or well, will you not be accepted? You could be just as accepted as Abel. But you chose to do something else. You rejected truth to follow what you want. That is the essence of religion. We are going to establish a new way to God. It's a new religion. No. It's Cain's religion. It's as old as Cain. Next bullet point. He knew what was required to be accepted. He, not only did he know what, what was right, he knew that that was what was required. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice, and it was accepted because it was offered by faith. He knew that. Next point. He chose to establish his own way. This was Cain's creation, the first religion. Now, here's the point. Cain's anger against God. I, I don't remember who this quote is from, but I think they even kind of made a book or a movie out of it. It's called Your Arms Too Short to Box with God. 
And so I, I don't remember where that quote comes from, but uh, your arm's too short to box with God. So who are you going to box with? I, I, can't, I can't hurt God. I can't wrestle with him. I can't punch him in the face. I can't throw him to the ground. I can't kill him. But I can kill people that are doing what's right because it makes me feel guilty. So what did Cain do? His anger against God and his passion for self-righteousness resulted in the murder of his brother. He, he wanted God to be tolerant of his religion, but he was not tolerant of Abel's. You make me feel guilty. Therefore, you have to go. And so, this religion became the first persecutor in the earth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 says, We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one, or literally listened to the evil one instead of listening to God. He listened to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. It's not because Abel did something against him. It's because Abel was doing what was right, and that angered Cain to the place he had to be removed. And his brother's deeds were righteous. That self-judgment. And this is my next point, the excuse of moralism. It's like, what's wrong with what I'm doing? What's wrong with what I'm doing? What's wrong with me offering the fruit of the ground? That's what I do. That's, that's, that's my life. I don't raise sheep. I don't have a sheep. I am a sheep, sheeps, yeah. I don't have a sheep or goat, whatever. But I do have grain, so I'm going to give it. Now, here's something interesting. If you go through the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, which some of you went to Leviticus with me, all right? And um, you, got, you got a badge in heaven for that, but uh, big badge. But... Um, the second, the second of the offerings, the burnt offering, and the second one is the grain offering. What? The grain? I thought grain wasn't acceptable. And so it's like, uh, how come if God said there's a grain offering, why wasn't Cain's grain offering acceptable? Yeah. But what does faith say? What did God say about the grain offering? Some of you, I know you want to answer this. Most of you know this answer, but I'll go ahead and answer it because it's the, so it gets on the tape. All right. I'll answer for you. Because when you offer the grain offering, you also have to present a peace offering. And a peace offering requires a sacrifice of blood. Yes. Grain offering represents your service, and your service is acceptable to God if it comes after the sacrifice of blood which is a representation of Christ's death. So because you have accepted him, then your service for God is acceptable. And so you could not offer a grain offering without offering it on a peace offering. 
They had to go together. Now, you could give a peace offering without the grain. That's fine. But no grain unless there's blood. And so that was fine. Could Cain bring his grain? Yes. If he also offered a sheep. If he also brought forth. Why the blood? Because God said blood must be shed. And this was a substitute for the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would redeem mankind. Somebody had to die. Blood had to be shed in order to cover your sin. And now your service is acceptable. And so sometimes people feel like, well, you know, I don't know if God accepts my service, my work, the things that I do. Yeah, he does. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your, your life, your, your, your profession, your work, the labor of your hands, everything that you do is acceptable to God because you have offered the blood of your Savior. All right, so he goes into this, this dialogue. So Paul begins this question and answer uh, setting up a, a, a supposed opponent. And there's a lot of difference as to who this opponent is. I've read through this. Some people believe it's a Jew, but he covers the Jews in the next section under legalism. So to me, this O oh man, he doesn't say you Jews, which he does in other places. He says, O oh man. Now, the guy might be Jewish by race, but not by religion, which is what most of, of the Jewish people in Israel are. They are Jewish by race, but they don't even attend synagogue. They're, they're, just, they're, they're just, it's just a philosophy. But the truth is that he's not talking about his Judaism, he's talking about his moralism. And so this is the moralism, not the legalism. We'll talk about that next, a uh, couple sessions. But the use of this O man brings up these points. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, Cain judged his brother. He didn't like what his brother offered. You judge ever for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, what comes following this is four different categories that go down through verse 16, four different categories of God's established judgment and the way God is going to judge things. The first is truth, and that's the one we'll cover in this lesson. Next week, we'll cover the other three. But this establishment of something, so the moralists, any religion, establishes rules. They have certain things. Now, some of those rules are biblical. Um, Confucius and if he really was a true person, no one knows for sure. Uh, he had a statement that said, do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Basically, that was his, it's kind of the reverse of what we know of as the golden rule. Do unto others what you would have. Other, so don't do to other people 
what you don't want them to do to you. Well, okay, that's good. And is there is there is that a good principle? Is that a godly principle? Do good to other people? Don't do bad to other people? Yeah, that's a good principle. But good principles won't get you saved. Look at this list. Moral standards. Here's some of the moral standards that people have established. Instead of appealing to what God has said in his word, they set these things. The Ten Commandments. So you want to say that you're, you're good based on Ten Commandments. I keep the Ten Commandments. It's kind of what the young man said to Jesus when he came to him. Uh, all these things I've kept for my youth. Yeah, really? Do you know you're talking to the Son of God who knows all things? You know, and you might, you might put that over on your mom, but it's not going to go far with God. Ten Commandments. So you, you want to say, here's my list of standards. The Ten Commandments, that's, that's, what, that's what our religion is based on, keeping the Ten Commandments. Really? Have you kept all of them? Always? Ever broken one? Ever, as Jesus said, even thought about breaking one? <laughs> I was good up until that time. No, you weren't. How long did you keep it? How long were you able to do that? Did you keep all ten all the time, all of your life? Can't remember? <laughs> I don't know. I think so. I think I did. Whew. Okay, that's not going anywhere. All right, what about the Sermon on the Mount? Let's, let's, let's set aside Old Testament stuff, and let's talk about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There's where they, Jesus loved people, and his love for people, he was a good teacher, he, he loved people, and he set up, ways and if you just follow the things of just okay let's let's look at some of the things that jesus said i'm not going to go through them but sermon on the mount the most concise list of things that jesus taught a standard <laughs> even higher than the ten commandments because jesus said hatred lust lack of compassion arrogance stinginess self-centeredness they're all the same as Killing other people, committing adultery, you, you can't do any of that. No self-centeredness. Oh, that's never been my problem. <laughs> Were you ever two years old? <laughs> yeah, there you go. All the self-centeredness that the world can contain is in a two-year-old. Mine. Okay, let's move to the golden rule. We already talked about that. Here's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Really? Have you always done unto others what you would have them do to you? Do, would you want to receive back 
from what you have not done for other people? Have other people do to you? Do you, do you like that? Wow. Have you always treated people exactly as you wanted them to treat you? No. Sometimes. <laughs> Have you never been impatient with people? Have you gotten angry with them unjustly? As Pastor Jeff has confessed this last week. For getting too close to your rear bumper and following you through the light, it sets him off. Don't do it. <laughs> Have you never accused people falsely? I know you can go back and say, I'm sorry, but what about all those people that you told, that told others, that told others, and now other people think that this person did something and you were wrong, and now how do you make that right? You can't. Have you never, oh, bottom line here, look, everybody, read it with me, bottom line, have you never taken advantage of another person's weakness? Well, yeah, we've all been teenagers. Okay, speaking of teenagers, let's go to the top of the next page, here's the last. So Ten Commandments, Sermon on the Mount, Golden Rule, you're indicted by all of these. Okay, what about fair play? Just being good to one another. Let's just be good to one another. Just fair play. If it's, it's, it's right, it's right. Simple, basic standard of fair play. The cry of every teenager, that's not fair. You can't live by fairness. You never could. Because other people aren't fair to you. And then you're in a box that says, well, I got to do something. They've not been fair to me, so I have a right to do. Okay, and there you go. There's never been anyone who's been fair to the people always. In all ways. So, which philosophical model, which uh, cultural standard... What governmental rules, laws, ethics, what religion are you going to cling to that's going to let you live up to God's standard? None. Because all of them fall short. In fact, they all start wrong. Just like Cain. I'm making my own way. This is how I'm going to approach God. So, as we follow on Romans chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. I'm going to have that ready here, sorry. Romans 2, verses 2 through 5. Let's just kind of read that whole section. Uh, because this is the next part where he wants to uh, advance his argument on moralism. And we'll build on this uh, in our lesson next week. So here's what he says. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls... Romans 2, 2, rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing 
that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So this next section begins the first of four principles of God judging. So this week, principle number one, first principle of judgment, of God's judgment, is, oh, this is a tough one, truth. Let God be true, and every man a liar. You cannot match up to God's truth. Even when he points his finger at you and says, did you do this? Well, no, but, well, okay, yeah, but you got to understand. Do you think God already knows that? Yes. It's just like trying to argue that with your mom. It didn't go very far. It won't go very far. But you don't understand. God understands. So listen to this. The first, first statement's in verse 2. For we know that the judgment of God rightly falls. I've got that word rightly highlighted. Rightly falls on those who practice such things. The, the Greek word rightly falls is one Greek word. And it has to do with according to truth. That's, that's what we... We know that the judgment of God is according to truth on those who practice such things. God's judgment is according to truth. So rightly falls is just a way of saying what this word is. The word comes from two words. The first is the word kata, which means under the influence of, and the other is the word truth, aletheia, which is truth that is absolute. It's altogether correct. So, you know, we, we want to shade the truth, partial truth, uh, this Jan and I have been watching the entire, how many years, series, nine, nine years, seasons of Perry Mason. <laughs> Number one, I'm loving the cars. <laughs> there are some incredible cars in there. And uh, people driving around in Edsels. It's like, wow, look at me, I've got an Edsel. <laughs> Two years later, it's like, you... <laughs> Now, now today, if you had one, <laughs> good for you, all right? Some of the cars are cool. And, anyway, but, but Perry's all about trying to find the truth, but people wiggle out, even the people who said, I've told you the truth. Do you swear to tell the truth, old truth, and nothing but the truth about God? And they don't. <laughs> Why don't they just say no? Just no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some truth. But until you force me, I'm not going to tell you the truth. But see, so, but God's judgment is according to truth. He knows. Do I have to say it any more plain than that? He knows. And therefore, truth is what he knows about you. Truth is what he established. And truth is what he expects. And truth is how he's going to evaluate whether you came up to that mark or not. How many of you know, you're not going to get there. We are never going to match up to the truth of God. Because we're going to fall short. And we're going to excuse ourselves. And we're going to try to find a way around. And we're going to try to avoid. 
this, this thing called truth. It's absolute. Today, what people want to do is shade the truth, change the truth. How can you change the truth? The, the division that's happening in many uh, Christian denominations is about the Bible. And a lot of them are trying to make it, again, about the sexual gender issues. It's not. Those are outgrowths. They're the, the fruit of rejecting the word of God. That's the question. What are you doing with the word? Well, as one leader of a denomination was saying, he's not the leader, but a leader within the denomination, made the statement that when we get to heaven, there will be many faiths that are represented there. No, there won't. There's one faith, and the rest of the faith will be someplace else. <laughs> On the warm side, yeah. But um, <laughs> there's not, it's, well, the Bible, you know, is, is to be interpreted many different ways. No, it's not. Now, I know that we're all trying to reach a full understanding of the Scripture. None of us will, in this life, reach a perfect understanding of the Scripture. But, but God is true. And I'm doing my best to try to express the truth of what God is saying. God knows. And his judgment is not opinion. It's not how he feels that day. You know, sometimes it was, you know... Avoid dad today. Some of us grew up with that. Dad's coming home. Go hide. Not necessarily because you did anything wrong. Because what comes in when he comes in. And some of us have lived with that. And it's just, well, she's having a bad day. Yeah, but God doesn't have bad days. His truth is absolute. His truth is always right. So what are we going to do about this truth that God has established? Our religion says, well, I've got a way around it. And I've got my, my other thing. I know God said this, but I'm, I'm taking another way. There are no exceptions. Do you suppose, verse 3, O man... You who judge those who practice such things and do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think you can get around it? Do you think His truth will somehow not fall on you, Cain? There's no exceptions. The Jew, religious, self-righteous, ignorant. You can try to offer your excuses as much as you want, but it will not register with the truth. You could say, yeah, but, but I, I, I'm ignorant of that. I, no one taught me that. Well, you should have known it. Your self-righteousness, none of these things will matter because God knows that you really did know that you shouldn't do that. And neither will there be an escape from it. I got these points out of one of my commentaries, so I just wanted to put these in here. No one will know. Uh, there will be no escape. Listen, 
that their offense will not be seen or known. See, when someone, Perry Mason, has been, been, has committed a murder, usually it's a murder, uh, so they first of all want to think nobody saw it. It won't be seen, it won't be known. I can, I can do this. How many know you've watched enough of those programs that the more you try to make it appear that it didn't happen or that you weren't there, the worse it gets? There's a movie called A Simple Plan. And, oh, my, don't, okay, don't watch it, but it is one of the most depressing movies I've ever watched in my life. So don't go there. But it's one of these things where it was just, it was just a minor issue to begin with. Until it ends up and it just cascades and it's just like you can't stop what's happening. How many have ever had one of those situations in your life? You, it wasn't really a big thing, but it just keeps getting worse. Like telling a lie. And then you have to remember what it was that you put in that lie. Yeah. You think your offense will not be seen or known. Point number two, that you might escape beyond the limitations of jurisdiction. I'll, I'll go to another state. I'll move to another country. If I can just steal enough money to get a flight to Brazil and somehow, you know, escape, God's there. You, you, know, you know, U.S. justice might not be in Somalia or, you know, the the... Cayman Islands, whatever that you want to escape to, but God's already there. He created the place. Yeah, he already knows. Uh, point number three, that there might be some failure in the legal process. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I want. Some failure in God's legal process of coming to, he's going to end up saying, you know what? I was wrong in establishing this law. I shouldn't have done this. And so that there's going to be some kind of a failure. And, and the final point is that you may escape from prison and hide from the officers of the law. Cool hand, Luke. Yeah, you're going to find a way out and you're going to escape and live. Where are you going to run from God? David said, if I take flight and go to the what? You're already there. Before I get there, you're already there. Verse 4. Middle of the page. Or do you presume on the riches, the wealth of the kindness and the forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Do you presume on the riches? The, the Greek word really means the wealth of God's kindness and forbearance and patience. I got this from a, a, a author from the 1600s, actually, Bishop Lightfoot. Uh, <clears throat> he said, the most grievous sin is not righteousness violated, but mercy despised. We've all broken the law but don't despise the mercy of God by which he will save you by which he can bring you 
back to himself. Those who reject because they reason they do not need it. I don't need God's mercy. Don't talk to me about mercy. Don't talk to me about forgiveness and those. I, I don't. I don't need that. Yeah, you do. Let's look at these words. Kindness. The Greek word kindness is the word krestos. It describes one who is always essentially displaying an attitude of kindness. So this is a person who this this is who they are. They are just kind. And some of us have known people like that. Someone who, they're just kind. Now, of course, they're human and there's, there's errors in their life, but there are people that are like this. Uh, example, Jesus was krestos, or kind, when he treated with loving gentleness the sinning woman who anointed his feet and the woman taken in adultery. Jesus showed his kindness toward them. Were they wrong? Yeah. But it was his kindness that was displayed. Forbearance. The Greek word forbearance, uh, anike, anike, is the word for a truce. A truce. It means a cessation of hostility. Yeah. And so you could look at this word, cessation of hostility, that was in the definition of the word. But, listen, but it also implies a cessation that has a limit. It's a truce. It's not an end. A truce can be what? What's the first half of the town that we live in? Broken, yeah. Broken, a truce can be broken. It won't be broken on God's part, but it will be broken on ours there's a cessation or a limit to god's forbearance because you have broken the very basis upon which he is giving you a truce all right you don't get to call the truce he does this is the kindness of god the forbearance of god the last one is patience Macrothumia, we've talked about this word before, a word who expresses patience with people, anger that is imminent but not displayed yet. It's there. It's there. It's anger that's there, but I'm not going to do anything about it yet. I like to use the phrase pending doom. It's going to come. There's a first century church father named John Chrysostom and he defined it as the characteristic of someone who has the power to avenge and deliberately does not use it. He's got the power, but he doesn't use it. Paul says that the religious, those who consider themselves the moralists, they've established their own way. They do not think that the fact that God does not punish you is a sign that he cannot punish you don't think that just because he isn't doesn't mean that he cannot how many are you glad that god does not punish every mistake that you make but does that mean he cannot he could except for his what kindness forbearance and patience macrothumia and he doesn't do this it's not because you don't need it 
It was God waiting, withholding, and granting you time. He could have done these things, but he chooses not to. Then he says, don't you know that these things, the kindness, the forbearance, and the patience of God are, listen to this phrase, meant to lead to repentance. They are meant to lead you to God not doing those things is not the end in itself. Oh, God's not going to judge it. No, it's meant to lead you to what? Repentance. So it, it's, it's meant to put you on a highway, in a sense, that leads you to a place of repentance. And the, the Greek phrase is in the present tense, which means God is lead, lead, leading you even as you are despising him. God has shown his kindness and his forbearance and his patience but you don't care you don't want them you're not thinking that you need them but even while you're despising those things God is still leading you to a place of repentance and God is on the work he's the one behind all these things and the point is that his doing all these things is supposed to bring you to a place of man I need to change I need to change. There's a German poet, and I quote him here, uh, who was known for his cynicism, and he wrote some really, really nasty things about God. And one of them, uh, he was asked why he was so confident that it did not matter what he said or what he did. And his, his response is, God will forgive. Doesn't matter what I do, God's going to forgive me. And when he was asked what was the basis for that, his response is, basically, it's his trade. That's what he does. That's who he is. So no matter what I do, God's going to forgive me. No matter what I say, God's going to forgive me. I can be abusive. I can be any of these things. I can do all this stuff. I can murder people if I want to, but God has to forgive because that's who he is. That's what he does. And so that is what we could say classic of presuming presuming upon the kindness, forbearance, and patience of God. It's supposed to lead you to a place of what? Repentance. Repentance. God's not responding yet. Big, capital Y, capital E, capital T. God is not responding yet. So the first principle of judgment is God's truth. He knows so what are you going to do about the fact that you have broken what he said? Now, I know, it sounds like we're, we're teaching legalism. We're teaching, you know, you got to live this certain way. Okay, that's why we got another week in chapter 2. Because Paul does not believe that works will save you. You can't live good enough for God to save you. You can't live good enough to be made righteous. That's his point. And you can't do these things. You can never live up to this. And the final thing is to bring us to repentance. To change your mind. To think again. God's grace grants us the opportunity to change our response. And to enjoy the benefit of that change. If we confess our sin. He's faithful to forgive us. And what? cleanse us of all unrighteousness yeah he's going to bring us back 
and he's going to restore. But we have to acknowledge that there is a change. And so this seeking the mercy and the love of God. Final verse, verse 5. Um, it's pretty simple. It's just here in your notes. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourself on the day of wrath. So you're storing these things for you. God is not storing them up. You are. Rejecting his kindness, rejecting his, the grace that he's showing you, rejecting the fact that God is holding this off. For me, God held off some things that I don't even want to acknowledge that I ever did. He held off his judgment, and then I confessed Jesus as Savior. And I moved out from under this, and that's what we'll cover next week as we look at this next section because we can't live good enough. Don't, don't get this wrong. Paul's not teaching moralism. He's showing the moralists that they can't live by this. And so even if you do everything right, you're going to get to the day of judgment and you're going to face something that you did not expect to face. Jesus Christ. It's not, did you do everything? Did you never break a rule? It's, do you believe in Jesus Christ? That's what's going to make the difference. And so that's where we will go in our session next week. All right? Father, we thank you for this lesson tonight. We thank you that you help us to understand just how gracious you are. Your kindness, your forbearance, your patience toward us, allowing us the time to come to this place where we could find right standing with you. And by faith, we have obtained right standing. And we thank you, Father God, that we have this right relationship and that we shall never come to judgment. For you have borne away all the judgment upon yourself. We thank you for these things, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Got a number of things that... Uh,